Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Delete. This is episode 71 to be precise, and it's with Daisy Buchanan. She is an award-winning journalist, broadcaster and author based in London. Last year she won the Words by Women Lifestyle Journalist Award and also the Dating Journalist of the Year Award. She was Grazia Magazine's Agony Aunt and she is the author of How to Be a Grown-Up, which is out now, today in stores. She regularly writes for The Debrief, Esquire, The Guardian, The Sunday Times and The Telegraph and she's one of the most prolific online writers out there at the moment. She writes so much, so frequently and she's always got a brilliant opinion on current news and she writes really great essays and columns. So really recommend you check out her work. The theme of this podcast, I guess, is asking that question, how to be a grown-up. I don't know. (laughs) Daisy admits she doesn't know much either about being a grown-up, but her book is full of amazing advice, so I don't quite believe her. We talk about book writing, jealousy, creating boundaries, why quitting can actually be a good thing, and whether or not any of us truly have the answer. I really enjoyed recording this episode, um, mainly because Daisy, when I went round to her house, gave me a glass of champagne while we recorded. So there we go. And I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy the honesty and I hope you are very well, whoever you are listening to this right now. I hope you're having a really nice day. Here it is. This is a very exciting episode. I'm with Daisy Buchanan. Hello. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Do we do thing. an audible clink. Also, I love um... If this was an old, like, radio for radio play, <laughs> I'd have, I don't know, a teaspoon and a block of ice to make a convincing <laughs> clink. I know, that was a kind of... Um, thank you so much for inviting me over to your beautiful flat. It's oh. a lovely sunny day. I do think there is something very, very intimate about inviting people to your house. And to start yeah. on a really pretentious note... Um, you know, as as you do yourself, I feel like I share a lot of my life online. Mm. And then this kind of, the bit that goes 3D, you know, so then not a lot of people come here. And I think maybe you have people over perhaps less than you would have done because mm. we're all so much busier, we don't have as much time. There's also, I think, that London thing where it's just easier for everyone to meet, you know, yeah. centrally. And you sort I think that... So I moved here in 2007 when I just graduated and it's coming to 10 years. We used to have so many house parties because we were just so, so, so poor and it was so much fun and it was a good way to get to know everyone. And then we all just got to a point in our lives that we thought our landlords are getting crosser, our houses are getting tinier and tinier and tinier and more expensive and it's just easier and safer Mm. to go into town or go somewhere where everyone can get to. That's so true. Actually, we should start there because we were just talking about this before. You were talking about kind of when you first started out in the industry when you're first kind of freelancing and stuff like it wasn't easy back then so I used to work for a magazine called Bliss what happened to me and I'll try and be as brief as possible is I graduated I used to love Bliss um, I adored it and the people there were amazing I had the loveliest time yes I graduated panicked all I really wanted to do ever was write and work for magazines and be a writer. But I thought that I might as well say I want to be one of the Smurfs. You know, <laughs> I thought, fun, that doesn't happen to people like me. So I got this PR job and it was there was financial PR and mortgages and it was very serious. And I very much felt like I was putting my childish things away. And now I, now I had to be a grown up and I wasn't ready and I was bad at that job and I got fired. Um, I was also 
earning no money. So I think I just, I resented that job so much and that made me a, a rude, ungracious, awful employee because I'd go there thinking, I'm just so unhappy all the time and I'm unhappy at weekends and evenings and mornings mm-hmm. when I'm, I know that I've got to get back here soon. And I'm earning money for this job and that pays me money that just about covers the rent on my flat that allows me to live in London to go to the job. And there was no, you know, no, no margin, nothing. And after the firing, I moved back home with my tail between my legs and then I applied for every single internship I could and I nearly went to work on a magazine um, about the office furniture industry but (laughs) I uh, got the internship at Bliss and it was one of those leaps of faith where it's like a movie and they're like and I was very very lucky as well because I did get paid a small daily amount I think it might have been 30 quid a day or something which you know obviously that's you can't really live on that but at the same time in internships it's barely heard of and I still had to get from London where I was living with my boyfriend um to Kent every day and then they made me a a staff writer and I stayed there for for four years and it was just a hell of an education and because it was a tiny tiny team and they had no money I don't know if you watched Bojack Horseman the penguin book is run by an actual penguin and the joke is that publishing is getting worse and worse and they're broker and broker and eventually Bojack turns up at the office and there's like bare bulbs swinging from the ceiling <laughs> and people throwing themselves out the window and when I was in magazine publishing it was starting to get a lot like that I went to some amazing parties in my first year and then it's like there's no money for anything so we're all broke and we weren't earning money. And I remember um, once I interviewed uh, Lily Collins um, when she was in Mirror Mirror. Um, I was flown out business class to stay in the Four Seasons in LA and interview her. I think I must have been in LA for eight hours, 10 oh hours. God. And, you know, this flight and this hotel, you know, the bill was more than I earned in like three or four months and a bit and how thought, old were you then then I think I would have been 26 mm. so you see I often feel as well that I'm a bit of a late starter and the th- when I was you know maxing out credit cards and doing working at bliss and thinking how am I going to make this work my backup theory would be well I didn't do an MA in journalism and I know lots of people have done so maybe this is my MA and I'm kind of I'm getting really good experience mm. and I'm paying my dues and it was you know the, the experiences I think really really do count for yeah. a lot but then when I did eventually go freelance it was because I had nothing to lose I was applying for all sorts of other journalism jobs not rarely even getting a no thanks just nothing and I really felt you know before when I was trying to sort of break in and get those internships that it was hard but like well once you've got good experience then people will listen and it really felt like I had to start all over again and I thought well this doesn't seem fair which is silly because obviously nobody owes you anything ever because some people would say to me like oh do you feel really unstable being freelance like do you or self-employed whatever you know people call it and my answer is always like I feel more stable because I have multiple multiple income streams yeah and 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 like not to say everything's amazing all the time but that I don't know that's my personal view that's that everything is a bit rickety and nobody knows what is going to happen with the future of journalism publishing digital content all of that's new and it's exciting but it's terrifying Mm. and yeah I know that you know a magazine especially you know things can sort of can shut tomorrow and I know and I do feel like I spent quite a lot of time pleading with people saying that thing I did for you six months ago please pay me for it but do you still have that even now because you're you know you are one of the top 
women's journalists, writers in like this space. Like you are. Oh, you've had some like, massive names on this. But you're podcast, one of Anna. like the, <laughs> the names of of journalism at the moment. You know, and you've worked so hard to get there. But it's kind of it would shock me if like even if you're struggling to get an invoice paid on time. Do you know what I mean? It's that's really really lovely to hear because I don't want to be falsely modest, but I don't you know go around feeling like that ever and. Um, I think because I spend so much time working on my own and the impression I give on social media is hopefully, you know, busy and cheerful. That's what I strive for. And most of the time I do feel quite busy and cheerful. But, And I still, I can't quite escape the feeling that I'm, you know, that I'm in the right place at the right time or like maybe I'm just, I don't know. Um, I mean, that's something I think that I do do having occasionally um, done work on the other side of it is that I am... I'm fairly fast and I always file on time and I think editors appreciate that and I think if you know we'll come to this later but advice that's yeah, the one thing you yeah. can do it's You're better really reliable. it's better to do something that you think oh well, this isn't very good and actually send it in on time and then work with the editor but um yeah but this is anyway. why we have to praise each other because working for yourself you don't get any praise yes this is so true all you ever hear is when people want you to change something and then it sort of goes up and but no one's like that was great I mean actually to be fair I'm very lucky because quite a lot of my editors do say that was great that was good and I don't know if that is partly because I work with a lot of women who yes. you know know how important it is for, for us to raise each other up but yeah back to invoices um <laughs> sorry we've gone in a bit of a circle here I mean maybe for some people you know they do think oh my gosh we've just commissioned hypothetically not this person like Martin Amos we have to pay him immediately but I think it depends on it's all about the organization and I don't think it's about you and mm. I've talked to people I you know kind of want to say you know like my lovely friend blah but I don't because I don't want to say too much when it's not my thing to say really but people who I consider to be super super senior who've been doing this for a long time you've got real names that everybody will know and they will say well this you know my main person that I write for is you know a dick to me and I'm always chasing this or they're really funny about you know me wanting to do an extra thing or actually um money I'm not so sure about but I did a panel event with Liz Jones um it's a head of a lineup it was um Liz Jones Julie Burchill um Catherine who teaches people how to code and I feel awful forgetting her surname because I would say that of all the people on that stage she was one of the most kind of smart and accomplished and doing something there's a genuine need for but I was stunned when Liz Jones said that you know when people criticize her about the subject matter of her columns that she'll be arguing with an editor and she'll want to do something a bit more heavyweight or a bit more subtle and thoughtful and they'll say hypothetically I don't know that she's done this or not but no write about the legs of the prime minister mm-hmm. um so I think even when you are that kind of massive name, you are still under a lot of pressure to sort of toe the line. And that's why I'm so, so fascinated by and interested in your career, because I think you have taken your name and kind of broken out independent with it. And, you know, you're sort of, you get to be the brand. Mm -hmm. And I think that's harder when you're freelancing for other people. And in some ways, there are lots of advantages to doing it the other way as well. Well, I do sometimes wonder how long a journalist has in them and I think that there are so many paths you can go down when you start writing I really want to talk about your book yes yes I because my editor and agent would also like me to talk <laughs> yes, about my books hey so basically seeing as you were the grazia agony aunt like everything that you do is filled with like love and empathy and you, you know you talk about yourself in a way that's helped a lot of women especially like some of the body image stuff that I know I've resonated with and advice for your careers and a lot of people really look up to you so oh man I'd hug you but I'm gonna knock over shambles <laughs> do hugs at we'll the do, end we'll do hugs at the end but um I wanted to ask you I guess because you've written probably about a million 
pieces you know you've written so much how was this different writing this book um it was different because it was terrifying because I had a much longer deadline and I don't do what I normally do when they're like we need it by 12 and I don't have time to be scared and I just have to do but every day having you know thinking this is my book I really want this to be the best thing I've ever written. I want to be beautiful and perfect. And then sitting down with my laptop going, oh my God. <laughs> that word count is daunting, as in not having one. <laughs> yeah, knowing it's, you know, you can work and work and work and sort of still at the beginning stages, you're like, oh, I'm never going to do it. It really is. It's the, the marathon, not the sprint. And I was, I think it was a lot of it, the, just the psychology of, am I up to the marathon? Sometimes I don't know. Like, what if the editor were to read it? This is my big fear at the time. And think, oh God, like when we commissioned her, you know, we thought, well, she's quite good on the, you know, the short, you know, commenty feature C. Imagine what she'd be with a book. I'm like, no, this is not. I would that say. That sounds like imposter syndrome. I, yeah, I have really, really bad it's, imposter it's syndrome. The, thing, the funny thing with imposter syndrome is like your friends and family and people around you are like just wanting to shake you, being like, what are you saying? Like, you saying that, I'm like, you've had like a decade-long writing career. But the thing I found really hard, actually, there were certain chapters. I write about being raped when I was 17, and it's funny because I have written about that before, but this did feel much rawer and more daunting, and I put that off so many times, and I'd come to sit and do it, and I thought, oh God, I can't. And then that whole... Because also I found it very, very hard to write the sex and the body chapters because there are jokes, and hopefully it is, you know, it's all good fun, but also there are some very serious very very personal things and a lot of it and this sounds really fake because the book is called how to how to be a grown-up but you know I don't know how I still don't know how it's about me just feeling you know lonely and terrified and wrong in myself and it's not a mistake I made even it's you know I also touch a bit I was um abused by a neighbor when I was a kid and it's one of those things where you think you know because I'm probably as you know the commenters of the Guardian like to say like could not sound more middle class or more privileged in a lot of ways Mm. and it's that you know but it could happen to to anyone and it's difficult because I don't want to say that to justify my my behavior it's like well actually you don't know all about me but I always think with my reason for writing so personally is if it could happen to me it could have and probably has happened to absolutely everyone my worst moments aren't even the bad things happening but the feeling of extreme loneliness and I'm not alone and the more I read and the more I talk to people and the more of life I experience I realize how universal this is so partly it was the terrifying rawness of opening up and partly this sounds really pretentious and awful but I felt so much responsibility to tell that story as clearly as possible to make it to make it reassuring I don't I'd hate for anybody to read about my experiences and just find it too triggering and awful but I mean I should say that if you do feel that's very close to you and it might be unnerving please please avoid that or please don't read it because I really you know all I want to do is make people realize that it's just it's so universal but Mm. afterwards I felt you know wrung out I remember I did it in the morning and it was like I had flu in the afternoon I felt so so wobbly and drained and unbalanced and exhausted and Again, it's, you know, I'm not going down a mine. How can I feel, like, practically ill from writing a book? But that was so interesting listening to when you talk to Bryony Gordon, who I'm a massive mm. fan of, that she got ill she found that with writing. writing something so so personal. And I think, I think we'll possibly come to that later about boundaries in personal writing, but mm. I think it's really hard, and I think I've had a chance to practice those boundaries. Did you feel 
I know it's, you know, cliche to say writing is like therapy or whatever, but did you feel a difference after you had written about it? What I would say is that I was having therapy while I was writing that. I'm so glad I was because you are spending a lot of time on your own, in your own head. And again, I think that writing nonfiction is or can be different from writing a novel. So my big advantage here with this book is, um, to be brief, so um, I, can't, I think you were similar, I'm not sure, but I, because it was non-fiction, I'd worked with an agent and I had, I'd written a proposal, I had three sample chapters in, a long list of what the chapters, the other chapters were gonna be, and then like a sort of long essay about, you know, what I thought the book was and why I thought I was the person to write it. And I only need to do all that because I worked with my agent on this proposal and she was really supportive and great. But when I was doing the proposal, my biggest fear was, what if no one wants this? How much time am I wasting? Why I could be doing paid work and I'm doing this and fuck, what if I'm an idiot? Everyone will laugh at me. I'll be laughed out of town when no one wants to buy the book. And the joy of this, at least, writing it was, I knew I was, somebody wanted it and it had me, you know, my yeah. psychological torture had a purpose. I was getting paid, which just, I think, in terms of confidence, is huge. Mm. I think that's so important. But then, like, the book has a chapter on how to wash your hair the amazon reviews have been mixed it's a short chapter and it's about how hair washing is kind of meditative and that i had a hairdresser oh, ian hi ian um <laughs> who shouted at me the first time i met him and said you're washing your hair wrong like how do you even know and he was like if you just you know i bet you just rinse it once and don't even comb the shampoo through like doesn't everyone and so it's this kind of you know, double shampoo, putting the conditioner in, wringing out the water, but really making it an indulgent time. And what I love about that is it's all about process rather than result. And it's just about, you know, the sort of the condition of your hair and not like make it an amazing style, but being by yourself in a shower when you cannot look at a phone, you cannot be distracted. You can maybe have some music on, but that's it. You've just got to look at your body and think about what you're doing and really touch yourself not in a rude way yeah. although that is in the book too <laughs> but you know when you're sort of massaging your scalp and squeezing mm. and you just sort of feel very oh it's so human nice but yeah I wrote that because I didn't want to write the chapter about being sad I didn't want to write about anxiety I was putting off writing about rape and I genuinely thought I would um send it over to um my lovely editors Emma and Sarah and they'd say oh Daisy this is just filler isn't it you're gonna do something else we need something in the second draft but they were into it so mm. hair washing stays but i think that's the beauty of the book is that there is the real honest moving quite deep chapters but then you do it's almost like you have a little bit of relief in between and that's why it's as a whole i think such a brilliant book as well oh thank you lovely as a reader i feel very strongly that i need that levity it sums sure. up you as well as a writer i feel because you know i've i've read things that have made me cry that you've written but then i've also read your like made in chelsea recap oh. articles for the debrief that i'm like howling with laughter oh, i want to make you cry but it feels like it's i think it's amazing to have that sort of breath i like to laugh and i love writing jokes writing jokes is my favorite it's really really hard especially with made in chelsea when you're like, oh god it's a fabergé egg joke i'm sorry i've got my hair <laughs> on your elbow um i've done a fabergé egg joke so many times i can't do this again or you know just that sort of thing but i love the challenge i'm doing a stand-up comedy course at the moment oh God, which yes. is the That's so cool the most fun it's it's terrifying i don't know that i'm good at performing mm. but writing writing jokes and being funny mm. i would say that everyone thinks they're hilarious fair play mm. to them i'm um, not i'm not very funny 
I think a lot of it is confidence and it is so subjective and there are plenty of things that everybody thinks are very funny and they leave me cold. I mean, I still that's something I still struggle with as well with imposter syndrome, having like the confidence to say, you know, I am funny. Saying that now, I just feel like everything is clenching up. And the other thing I'm always telling people and trying to tell myself is the world takes you at your own estimation. Mm-hmm. I think it's partly a woman thing and something I write about a little bit in the book is... Um, it's about confidence and the way we see ourselves and how hard it is to gauge who we are when Mm. the world presents a reflection it presents an opinion it's not accurate everyone's version of you is warped depending on how they see themselves and how they feel about themselves and I talk about the bit that everyone hates in Love Actually when Keira Knightley says I look quite pretty, don't I? <laughs> and like women across the nation, they go, bitch, cause yeah. you're pretty. And it's just hearing someone own their beauty. And also that's one of the very, very few things we expect of women as well, you know, attractiveness. Um, but it's really, really important. And normally, you know, I can say like, I'm funny. I'm a successful writer. I am very good at making lasagna. And there might be the odd bitter angry person who's like oh god what gives you the right to say that Ugh. but you know most people probably go yeah right then and then that's it yeah well talking of like any sort of jealousy there is a chapter in the book on that and that's that's one reason as well why i i think people feel like they are kind of close to you when they read your stuff as well is because you're so honest and the bit in that in that chapter that kind of resonated with me is like your advice is basically like if you're jealous of someone you tell them because then you release a little bit of it and you're being honest with yourself and you're not just like a bitter and twisted monster in a cave you're like no I'm I'm jealous of you makes you maybe less jealous be their friend yeah but we had a similar thing our friendship actually I think went from like 50% to 100% when you were honest with me about like something you you basically said you know I was jealous of you I really was I remember when you had your book out and it was so you know you had a dream and yeah I was very jealous of the the acclaim you got and the fact that that you know it was this really 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 visible success but also that you had you had done it you know you'd had an idea and you'd gone to and you'd worked and worked and I was just sort of sat kind of stewing and knowing I hadn't done the work mm. and known that I wouldn't be jealous in the same way if I'd actually like try, like if I had done that proposal and nobody had wanted to buy it like, but I think that's the really important message is like a if you're jealous like and you're friends with them tell them mm. like I know that sounds really scary but I just feel like the minute you said that to me like you, you kind of any like there's never any tension because it's like been said and then number two is whenever I'm jealous because I get I still get really jealous of people is going headfirst into it turning it into an action I think that's really really positive I mean because I imagined you as well with the book thing basically you're on a, a like a big deck chair or like a lounger massive sunglasses on champagne in one like hand sunglasses. cigar in the other but let me talk my agent about the many many publishers who want to offer me 10 million pounds they're putting the money on a truck right now whereas I know talking to you that it's you know a real like heart in your mouth moment and it is sort of terrifying and you're waiting to hear and waiting to find out what happened and the hustle Mm. doesn't end after you write it no you know some of the most successful in air quotes writers I know have written beautiful amazing books and from the outside I think people will assume they just spend all their time on a yacht you talked about this to Bryony I think Mm. and then you still feel like you're kind of there's this 
layers and layers and layers of competition. And it goes from there. Every book is so is so different mm. and unique. And this is what I'm dealing with at the moment. Well, and something I've actually got quite good at is just being like, you do have your own lane. And you don't stop moving in your own path just Mm. because someone else is doing a similar thing. So being someone who has worked kind of in this industry, especially working by yourself or kind of as someone who is self-employed, how do you take breaks? How do I take breaks? Because I think we've spoken about about this before in the sense of when you've always got someone maybe commissioning you or there's no, hey, do you want to go and take a week off paid leave? There's none of that. So it how do you really is and I would say for anyone who is thinking about freelancing um if you have the opportunity to go to the pub for a lovely quiet pint and a sausage roll or snack of choice at three o'clock in the afternoon absolutely do it because then suddenly eight months will go by and you'll have like been working weekends and working all the time and then you'll think why why don't I do this more I'm self-employed um I think it's hard and I do think that the reason I am in the position that I am and this is a really like grim thing to say and it's not good for work-life balance but I was dreadful at taking breaks um really I'd say maybe until the last year or so maybe a bit longer than that but I really used to like work myself to the bone and even when I got you know office shift somewhere I'd be up at six to do whatever freelancing I was doing and then maybe have to do some more in the evening and yeah I found it really 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 hard and I think that you know now I do work less frantically but I do think I'm perhaps only in a position to do that because I did that grim thing um at the start I don't know that I should really advise anyone to do that but then I do think I've been stunned when I've been in that um occasional sort of commissioning editor role so I was working in one office and they said oh can you see if this person wants to write something I tried them and like oh no sorry I'm doing shift at this place this week and I was thinking I'm gonna come home and, and do some work tonight if I've got that email I'll be like yes sure yeah. would it be okay to have it with you first thing tomorrow because I can't do it right now because I'm at work mm. and I know what you mean because actually I'm I'm quite similar in the sense of any moment that I can take a little bit of a kind of respite now is because of my past mm. manic self and it's almost just noticing when you maybe just go through a little bit of a chill out phase and then hit it hard again because I think I'm never gonna stop I'm never mm. gonna like fully take a month out it's it's almost like daily practices as well as going on a week-long holiday and you know social media and I think that people you know we all know we should spend less time on that it's all well, it's really really hard to put it into practice but I do think that if you try and have breaks from it your mind does get calm and I think that as with anything that's a bit addictive or a bit difficult, it's better to start by trying to do less mm. rather than just saying, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And then, Because there is that kind of, you do, you know, worry about what you're missing. And, yeah. you know, especially because sometimes people do get in touch with, I'm sure you're the same on um, on the various social platforms yeah. about like well, I feel like a now thing. we've got, this is something that I keep thinking about at the moment is when you add it up, I feel like I've got eight different inboxes that people can reach me. Mm. Did you get my Instagram direct message? Did you get my Twitter DM? Did you get my email? Did you get my Facebook message? It's like, that's what sends me into an anxiety spiral. And I can't handle having that many different ways of someone getting in touch, if you know what I mean. I mean, one thing at the moment that I'm really, really enjoying that seems really luxurious and it's it's not going to be forever, sadly. Um, Headline who are publishing how to be a grown-up they have the most like lovely lovely on it team and they take care of so much most of what I'm writing at the moment it's kind of book based Mm -hmm. so 
Um, hashtag promo. Hashtag promo. Um, you know, I can trust them to make decisions on my behalf. I know that if I don't email back, you know, instantly, like they're not going to, you know, they will ring if it's urgent, but otherwise they'll just be like, fine. Um, and that has, I think, really chilled me out and, yeah. and slowed me down. I think it's hard just because when you do broadly what we do, you are making yourself very, very accessible and I would not have the career that I had if people didn't you know want to to get in touch and you know sometimes it's it's work and sometimes it's people really really sadly a lot of the time it's people getting in touch saying can I talk to you about anxiety which Mm. you know I am always really really happy to help if I can and obviously I'm not any kind of mental health professional but I think that sometimes um, I think Bryony was saying exactly this before is that people just they want to be heard and they want to know they're not alone and I think that's a lot of it and I guess I have a generally with work an area I try to handle as best I can and it's difficult to manage but I think I really have to respect the fact that if any you know getting in touch with a stranger is scary it requires a lot of courage it's daunting and I have to kind of honor that and to help the best I can unless that stranger wants to tell me that you know I'm fat and I've got shit tits and I want to stop writing but a lot of your work I feel like kind of it might not necessarily answer specific questions but it definitely gives you something to hold on to because I remember there was one piece in particular that really I really loved and it was about this you know there's this myth of like don't be a quitter Mm. don't quit losers quit I quit I've quitted about eight different jobs like I'm the biggest quitter alive what is the the past tense of quit is it quat (laughs) I quat I'm a quat (laughs) so I feel like although I you know obviously I don't quit on things like my personal projects but I've definitely quit quitted quatted jobs (laughs) um because you quit a really prestigious like senior big old media job to be doing what you're doing now and I think that's a really really cool what story was actually really lucky about that I think is this is a job I got when I turned 30 and it seemed really symbolic you know I've been a journalist for my 20s and I'm here and I've arrived and this is the thing that I should be doing and a lot of the time I felt really really bad because I thought I'm I'm too too much of a, a grown-up to to quit this to leave mm. to not be and because you know one of the reasons that I quit was I, I felt so unsure of myself and uncertain and you know worried and wobbly when I was there and there were lots of people you know the grown-ups kind of made me feel like a child um but actually if I'd been 25 even if I'd been 28 I think I would have said no this is my problem I must suck it up I must make it work and I could have stayed for miserable years or longer and it was knowing that you know it's like I've been fired before I can fire myself I have I've made money as a freelancer before I can do that again and it was a really really powerful thing to do it felt like a real gift to myself because I feel like everyone's had that job that like on paper Mm. I call it like the on paper job I've had that. I've had jobs where people have been like, you can walk into a room and people are like, oh my God, you work there. And inside you're like dying a bit. Well, you kind of feel like it doesn't actually sum up my whole identity actually working there. I've got a friend who's just gone freelance and talking to her about, I think, status and identity mm-hmm. and being seen to be busy. And yeah. yeah, that we, like I often feel, and this is the imposter syndrome, you know, writ large. I've managed to trick a lot of people into thinking it's all going quite well. But if people actually saw my day to day, if they saw me um, desperately thinking up pictures and my pyjamas and then getting emails, well not for us today sorry or the fact that you know I might have a day where 
you know, I don't, I feel like guilty that I don't write every day. For a long time, I'd write at least one thing, sometimes two or three things every single day. And it's a real kind of, I have to kind of prove that I'm, I'm worth doing it. And it's almost like building a, a sort of a pile of sand and you think that sand's constantly running out. And I'm just at the point where I have to take a deep breath and think like, no, it's, it's fine. This is concrete or granite or something. It's, it's stacking up. Yeah. It's solid. You're very inspiring, my friend. So thank you so much. Thank um, you. Good luck with the book stuff. Cheers. Cheers. Woo. Oh, that sounds like a proper one this time. Yay.